News Talk On Demand. Interruption-free audio, where you want it, when you want it. Good morning and welcome to Garden Talk on 650 CKOM and 980 CJME. I'm Jay Thomas with me, Jill Van Dyke. Good morning, Jill. Good morning. The sun is shining oh, today. It it's looks great. Like such a beautiful day. I know that the walking paths along the river are going to be full. And uh, and the garden center yesterday with our open house was so busy as well, too. Everybody's oh. got that little bit of a spring itch to, to get out there and smell the flowers. That's fantastic. You know, I was thinking, too, that, you know, weather around the province is, at least if you're, you know, Maybe maybe the producers need more moisture, and I know there is some weather issues going on in the southeast corner of the province again, yes. if you can believe it or not. But for a lot of Saskatchewan, Regina, Saskatoon, that sort of thing, we're looking at some pretty nice temperatures this coming up week. Finally, some double digits, back to sort of normal for this time of year. So spring might be kind of getting back on track a little bit at least, and uh, that's exciting because I think we're all ready to just get out and, you know, even if it's not green yet, start cleaning up the yard and things like that. You must be getting a lot of people talking about that calling about that right yeah absolutely anything from like i still have some areas with snow in it should i shovel that snow off mm, some yep. of plants and you definitely can do that i have some deep shade areas like by my shed that still have some piles of snow so i'm shoveling that out of there and sort of spreading it in some other areas it's really good that to do that on your lawn as well right now too so that you don't get snow mold underneath some of those areas so it actually is a good idea yeah it definitely is um the only thing that i would watch is maybe if you are down south and you maybe are getting some of those colder temperatures if you have some tender plants underneath there like mm. maybe some tea roses and stuff the snow acts as a really good insulator but other than that um, you should be fine i think our temperatures we're, we're past those hard minus 20 um, freezes right now so i sure hope so <laughs> <laughs> i know that you know it's not the same for everybody when we talk about the weather because i've seen pictures of what say it looks like up at emma lake still and there's yes. still quite a bit of snow up up in the you know the forest part of the part of the province so i know we're being general here but you know for a good chunk of saskatchewan we are starting to see some nicer temperatures and and you know at least where we're sitting you look out and there is no snow no. Which is fantastic. Just like you said, in the little shady parts, you know, parts of your yard, there's a little lump or pile, that sort of thing. So or in the middle of the river on the on the sandbar. Right <laughs> That's right. There. Yeah, That's exactly. One eight seven seven three three two eight two five five. There's two great ways to join the conversation today, and we've got another two hour show for you. So lots to talk about. Lots of time to get your calls and texts in. We are looking, you know, to talk to you when you've got questions about what to do with your yard. So whether it is the lawn or or you know clean up for spring, that sort of thing. You know, we are looking forward to getting seeds in the garden. You've got questions about that, what to do with certain things. Maybe there's something that didn't turn out last year that you would like to see if we can figure out how to help you get it figured out for this year. So it actually does turn out, for example, right? Yeah, that's right. And then questions as well about your house plants. A lot of people are, have been caring for them and maybe they're not looking so good right now. So we can definitely help you try and figure out what's wrong, what's what's bugging you that way too. Um, any new plant varieties or maybe some different things you want to try something different or something hasn't worked in an area of your yard, call in and, and let's chat about your yard and kind of what you're dreaming about. Sure, one eight seven seven three three two. 8255. Now, you just touched on it just before. You guys had an open house at Dutch Growers in Saskatoon yesterday. Yeah, we sure did. It was so exciting to see. And it was nice to see the fourth generation, my kids, in the garden center. Wow. And they were um, teaching other little kids how to plant their pots. And uh, my daughter, who's 12, she she was learning the Latin names of the plants and telling them about sun and shade and what perlite is in the soil <laughs> and um, how to water them by sticking their finger into the soil. So it's nice to hear that she has been listening to 
to my advice I've been giving people, and she's now passing it on to another generation. You know, when you can start to teach somebody else, that's when you know they've actually, when they're starting to teach somebody else, they know they've actually been listening to you, right? Exactly. That's pretty cool. Yeah. That is very cool. And that is something that I think that we can all do as gardeners is we can start mentoring another new gardener. That's a good point. You know, we, uh, that's something we wanted to talk about with the show a little bit today is you're getting lots of people coming in who are buying plants right now. And let's say, you know, they're, they're new to gardening here totally. They're new to the province. You know, they moved here from somewhere else or they're just a new homeowner. They've grown up here, but they've taken on a home for the first time. Uh, there's, there are things to know. So we were kind of thinking that it'd be a great idea if, if you're a gardener out there right now and you've got lots of knowledge, you know, make friends with that new neighbor and uh, and pass along the knowledge you've got because it's it is important around here. We've spent so much time in our houses um, over the last mm-hmm. two years, and I think this is a great way through gardening um, and that we can connect with other people and we can pass that information on of like what's hardy in Saskatchewan and what's not hardy. Um, even going through and walking through somebody's yard and and helping them name some of the perennials and how to care for them. Um, that's that's some, a great way that you can connect in a very easy way in passing your knowledge on. Or, um, hey, did you want to pop by the garden center with me? Let's go pick out some vegetables together. Yeah. Um, or did you want to can with me at the end of the season? Mm. That's always a fun one, too. Yeah, so for there's sure. some great ways that you can definitely sort of pass that knowledge on and get to know some people and let, get back to our roots of where we used to, like... Um, I remember when I was a kid, it was like you used to have block parties and you used to know your neighbors and everything like that. And I think we've all been sort of isolated for a while. So let's get out and meet some people and, and make people feel welcome and have that real sense of community. Again. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Well, why don't we pass on a little bit of knowledge uh, right now? Mm-hmm. Because you've got plants that are leaving the garden center. And what do we what do we have to do with them right now? You know, like in terms of hardening them off and what when can they go outside? Stuff like that. So let's first touch on the topic of hardening them off. And people say, well, hardening them off. What does that mean? Right. Um, well, if these plants have been grown in a greenhouse setting, so our temperatures are 16 to 18 degrees in the greenhouse for ideal temperature growing, right. um, which when they go outside and they're hitting that sort of five to sometimes zero degrees right now, it's too cold for the plants and they're going to go through shock. So what we do is we put them out during the day, just on your front step or and then bring them in at night and do that for about a week um, or until our nighttime temperatures are five degrees. So that you're not wanting to put your tender plants outside until our nighttime temperatures are hitting that five degrees. And it really doesn't matter what we're talking about, right? It can be stuff that's going to be going vegetables, things like that, that you're going to be buying sometime soon, or just petunias, flowers, any of that stuff, right? Yeah, even perennials, so stuff that's going to survive the winter. Um, it's really important to harden those things off and make sure your nighttime temperatures are because if you freeze that new growth, you're going to set that plant back and you're going to have to start over again. We also have a lot of people coming in and saying, "What? Where? when are your trees and shrubs coming in? And um, the reason why is because underneath all those thermal blankets, they're actually starting to, to leaf out because it's warmer underneath the thermal blankets where we have them put to bed for the winter. Right. Um, or we're bringing them in from warmer climates where they have already leafed out. Now, if we bring them in and stand them up so that everybody can purchase them, um, the cold nights are going to hit all that new growth and then we're going to ruin that for you and you're going to have setbacks. So you usually won't see um, the tree and shrubs areas set up till about Mother's Day um, is, is kind of when you can start right. buying those plants. Um, we'll be starting to get the blankets lifted up during the day, sort of hardening those plants off and then and then sort of putting them back to bed at night by putting the, the thermal blankets back over top of them. Um, but it, it is really important to note that as well too. So the other thing that you can do is you can look outside and you'll start seeing budding on your trees. Now we don't see any budding on the trees right now outside. It means that it's not quite ready to be planting some of those 
plants with new growth yet. The trees outside haven't even identified that, hey, it's warm enough that I should put out the right. new growth. Yeah. So that's a little tip for you as well, too. Um, the other thing that I have is like there's plants like pansies, like flowering kale, um, like heuchera, some of these plants that are called cold tolerant or frost tolerant okay, plants. Yeah. And um, so people are like, oh, I'll buy these and I'll, I'll make a beautiful planter in my front step and they'll put them out right away. Well, these are frost tolerant plants, but they need to be hardened off, first of all. <laughs> right. And then still, if we're hitting temperatures of minus one, minus two, minus three, if the frost hits them and they're still tender, they're going to freeze. So at nighttime, if you do want to plant them up early, which you can once you've hardened them off, just put a frost blanket over top of them or a sheet. Just don't use plastic is the biggest thing. Mm, right. And then you can extend um, sort of your growing season. I'm sure I'll be starting to put some pussy willows in my pots and put some some pansies and some kale probably starting next week cool okay yeah so i guess even if it's frost tolerant still has to be hardened off and yeah it's because everything is grown in a greenhouse and it's so nice and pleasant in there all the time right yeah it's, exactly. it's controlled climate and it's nice and uh, you know humid and everything like that so it is a bit of a shock when they go outside especially this time of year, right? <laughs> yeah. Let's take a quick break. We've got Joe from Regina. We're going to talk about a snake plant and his lawn. Paul is in Saskatoon, uh, a leaf bin. So I think we're talking about kind of like, you know, that compost bin as well. So guys, hang on. We're going to get to your calls as soon as we get, get, get back from the break. I'm Jay Thomas with Jill Van Dyvendyke. You're listening to Garden Talk on 980-CJME and 650-CKOM. Good morning, and thanks for joining us on Garden Talk on 980-CJME and 650-CKOM. I'm Jay Thomas with Jill Van Dyke, and we've got the text line open. We've got the phone lines open at one 332 8255 and we're going to start with the phones for a couple of guys waiting patiently for us. First off in Saskatoon is Paul. Good morning, Paul. Good morning. Uh, how are you guys today? Pretty good. You're doing good. Yeah. Good. Had that billion-dollar snowfall southeast, eh? <laughs> That's right, yeah. And sounds like more on the way. There's another warning coming up. It's crazy. Yeah. But, uh, it's nuts. Um, I got a, a, two questions for you. Sure. Um, number one, I, I built a, a leaf bin uh, six by six by five feet tall, chicken wire, and I filled it full, like right full of leaves. And I'm wondering what I should be putting into my garden bin should i dig down and get the black wet stuff or take the dry the top dry leaves crush them up and put them in the bin or in the gardens you're wanting to take the 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 black stuff at the bottom of the bin the stuff that's already been turned into a compost is what you're wanting to take out and so a lot of people will actually go in and turn their compost bin so that they can mix those things together and it actually helps the decomposition happen a lot faster as well too Oh, okay yeah Mm. okay now, number two, I was in a chat room. I don't want to make you feel uncomfortable, but this this is becoming a trend I'm seeing. People are talking about putting urine in their on their in their gardens. Now, I have a concern with that. Like personally, myself, you know, I have a high blood pressure and uh, uh, a pill that I take, and you know, your kidneys take out, but take out like toxins mm-hmm. and stuff out of your body. Like, is this a, a healthy thing to do is to put urine in your garden? You know, I haven't heard or done any experimenting with this in particular, so I can't speak from experience this way. Um, but it does, uh, just looking like people 
I just sort of looked it up and like a 10 to 1 ratio. Some people are adding it to their their vegetables and stuff like that in their gardens. But you know what? That just it just seems a little offside for me. Um, yeah, I don't think it's something we would recommend. But, no. you know, one thing we do talk about, you know, when we talk about people who have problems with their dogs making spots in their lawn. And Rick always talks about the urea and the and how there's high nitrogen. So it burns the lawn. But then right around the edges where it sort of it sort of gets diluted, it really does fertilize the grass and make it really green, right? So around the edge of that dog spot in your lawn. So I guess there's probably a little bit of science behind it. it's probably because you're adding a little bit of that nitrogen in there, so it's greening everything up and adding a little bit of that, but I don't know. I think we have a lot of other ways that we can do that rather than adding urine into our yard. So I yeah. don't, it may be not something I would recommend, but like I said, there's so many different things that gardeners can do out there. And, um, if somebody's having success with something, go for it if you want. But, um, that's not something I'll be doing in my garden. <laughs> yeah. No, you know, I, I can afford to buy the, the, uh, the, the stuff. Like I'm a, I'm a alfalfa guy, yeah. you know. And uh, I'll do it naturally, and uh, just you know. not just not that naturally. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Just not that naturally. You have a great day. Thanks for Thank, your time. Thanks, Thank Paul. You. Take care. One eight seven seven three three two eight two five five. Let's get to our next call in Regina. Let's talk to Joe. Hi, Joe. How are you doing? Good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm not calling about peeing in my garden or nothing like that. I was just uh, wondering. I managed to screw up the only thing that you really can—a snake plant. Uh, against my better judgment, the tips, they get brown at the point, and I found on Google, of course, you could snip them off into a point, and they would keep growing. Yes. Now it looks horrible. It's probably four feet tall, maybe five. It's getting pretty tall, but um, I'm just wondering if those cut tips will eventually grow out, and that'll all go away. Well, the cut tips, so the browning is caused from the chlorine that we have in our water um, is, the, is the biggest thing. So if you let the water sit for about 24 hours, the chlorine is going to evaporate out of it and then you're not going to see those brown tips as much anymore. Now, when you cut them, what it's going to do is it's going to eliminate a little bit of that brown tips if you have a lot of it, but you're still going to get the scabbing on the ends and that's probably what you're, you're talking about where they still don't look the greatest. The plant is always going to yeah. grow up from the base. It's not going to grow up from the tip of the plant. So it, you're never going to recover that that damage that is there. Um, what you can do, though, is once the plant shoots out those new babies off the side and you get some new growth, you can actually remove the old stem so that it thins out the plant a little bit, maybe getting rid of some of that older growth so that you make room for some of that new growth. Yeah, I've got lots of those little ones popping up all around it, so maybe that's the route I'll go. Yeah, yeah just, and I, I um, wouldn't remove them till about there, about one-third the size of the adult one, and then it just will make the plant look a lot better and fuller because you don't want that plant to look really bare and, and, and look funny, especially if it's in your home or office. Okay, and how often should you actually water those things? Like, Wait. they say they're foolproof, but... <laughs> I don't really know how often to water them. I understand you can overwater them. So. You can absolutely overwater them. They're neglectables. In my home, I'm watering them maybe once a month to once every two months. Um, so stick your oh. finger in that soil and stick it right down past your second knuckle, and the soil should feel completely dry to the touch before you're watering them. I've got one that's... Okay, yeah, I've got one in a, in a bright, low, my bright, low, bright location, and that one needs water every about three weeks. The one that's in the, sort of the shady spot in my house is is that month to month and a half. So it just depends where yeah, it is. Mine's kind of sh- mine's shady, and then it gets sun for about three hours a day. So yeah, so because it's not getting much sunlight, you're going to want to make sure you're watering it less. 
caught you. My only other question is, can I fertilize my lawn with the snow on the ground? And so I bought a couple of bags of fertilizer, and I'm thinking of just laying it down and letting the snow water take it into the soil. Is that I, something you can do? I would probably wait a little bit. Um, you can do that, but I would wait a little bit because if there's a lot of snow on your lawn, it might melt and take the take the pellets or the fertilizer into a certain area and then it will concentrate it in that area. So um, I would probably wait till the snow is off the lawn and then fertilize it at that point in time. Okay, that's all I need to know. Thanks, Joe. Have a great day. You too. One eight seven seven three three two eight two five five. Lots of great calls this morning. That's fantastic. Okay, let's get over to the text line because we've got lots of people who've been texting us, which is great. Uh, let's see. This is from Jason, who's in Saskatoon. Good morning. I've got cedar trees that are about six years old. They burned very badly from a dry and hot spring a few years ago. I've been covering them uh, in the spring ever since. Is there a way to avoid covering and prevent the burn? Unfortunately not. With cedars, you do have to cover them. And it's not necessarily that you're covering them to keep them protected from the cold. You're keeping them protected from the sun. And um, so setting up some stakes even in your area and letting some more airflow get around them is really good. And then wrapping them that way. And you're protecting them from the sun. Now, making sure that you're giving them good fertilizer in the growing season is also really important. So you can get some new growth on them too. And then when you're pruning the plant, um, you can prune back a little bit, maybe um, pieces of that old growth um, or that browning out of your plant too. But remember, with cedars, if it's browned right through to the stem, once you prune that far, you're pretty much done um, with with seeing green on that once you prune out of the green. So um, <laughs> same thing as they're growing. You always want to make sure you're pruning gradually as you're going because if you prune past the green, then you're going to get brown. So it might be the case, Jason, where they just need to be replaced. Yeah, it and might then, be time. If you have like more than 60 to 70% of them that's turned completely brown, I would say, hey, you know what? Let's stop spending time trying to get these guys going because it might take five, 10 years and let's get a new plant and uh, that's going to do better in your area. And like Rick always says, when you're protecting a cedar, you're really not putting a coat on it. You're not trying to keep it warm. You just sort of got to put four stakes around it, wrap it so it's protecting it as a shade from the sun. You can leave the top open, the bottom you want some space so that the snow goes around the root system, around the bottom of the cedar. So it's just simply a shield and it can go up pretty much all winter, right? Yeah, you can put it on right in the fall and leave it up right until about now. Okay, great. Uh, 1-877-332-8255. Another simple text here. Joe from Lashburn. Good morning. Jill, is it safe to plant dahlia bulbs? Dahlia bulbs, uh, I would say that it's not quite safe to plant them outside right now. Our temperatures, our soil temperatures are getting cold and you're going to have a very long time for it to keep growing. So with bulbs, it's the warm soil temperatures that's going to get them going. Mm, okay. um, so year to year, yes, your, your dahlia bulbs, you'll, you might want to maybe plant them a little bit earlier this year, I would say start them indoors, warm soil temperature, and then put them outside around the long weekend. Around the long weekend. That's kind of the magical time for just about everything, really, isn't it? Yeah. All right. We've got more text to get to. Uh, let's see. Doug, we're going to talk about a porcupine, what it did to his pear tree. Verna in Saskatoon, talking about seeding the garden. Jeanette in Regina and a hibiscus. Uh, Marlene in Saskatoon, angel wing plants. So lots to talk about. Coming up, we're going to get to those texts. Welcome back to Garden Talk. 980 CJME and 650 CKOM. I'm Jay Thomas. Jill Van Dyvendyke is with me right now. Rick is away this weekend. Uh, you know, we're, we're going to get to the text line here uh, in just a second. We're going to talk about, uh, you know, Doug's talking about a, a porcupine that took a, took a number on his pear tree. And uh, Verna in Saskatoon wants to talk about garden seeds. But there's some other stuff we've been talking about, you know, about stuff going on in the greenhouse right now. Things we're getting ready for this spring. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, a lot of people are starting to pick up some grass seed right now and um, some lawn fertilizer because right now is a time when, well, if you're in the central part of the province, um, the snow is gone off your off your lawn and you're raking it up and you can start overseeding and getting rid of um, some of those spots. So we've been having lots of lawn care questions. Um, we've been having lots of pruning questions about what to prune when and maybe getting rid of some black knot and some funguses, um, when to spray dormant oil on plants. Um, so just trying to make sure that we're we're getting things getting that pruning done in this early spring stuff before some of those plants leaf out um and then uh and then dealing with some of those diseases like that black knot um right now so that when the spores don't they don't burst and spread everywhere once the spring comes and then or the summer comes and then we have it dealt with right um i know that rick's always talking about the dormant oil kit right that's something you can use to spray on them so you kind of prune everything out right and then spray after that is what you do yes absolutely and right now is the time to do it because we're just starting to get those plus temperatures now you don't want it to be minus temperatures but you don't want it to be too warm yet so right right now this next week coming up will be the perfect week to spray dormant oil so i'm sure that that in find that you can find that in any garden center um the other thing that we're having people ask questions about is when do i plant things so um picking those things those plants up hardening them off and then putting them outside during the day, bringing them in at night. And then around that May long weekend or when our nighttime temperatures are about five degrees, you can put them outside again. And then when with more tropical plants, it's 10 degrees. Um, Mm -hmm. Another thing that people are coming and asking about too is um, their Easter plants that they may have picked up. So maybe they have some hydrangeas or Easter lilies. How do I care for them? How long are they going to bloom? So for Easter lilies, um, they'll bloom, continue to water them, care for them. And then once the blooms finish, they will die back down. Now, Easter lilies are not hardy to Saskatchewan, the ones that you find in the store that are the white color. Right, yeah. So you want to store them kind of like you would a dahlia bulb. So you can plant them out in your garden um, afterwards, let them die back down, enjoy the foliage, um, and then bring them in into storage. And then you can start them up. It'll take about six to eight weeks to start them up again after that. And then hydrangeas are in such a small plant for such big blooms. Yes. Um, so if you're wanting to keep those going a lot longer and you're getting frustrated because they're, you're having to water them twice a day almost right now, uh, put them into a bigger pot. And so right now they're in probably a six inch pot. I would suggest going to about a 10 to 12 inch pot. And then I'm only watering them every two to three days. Well, all that more, more soil will hold more moisture, right? Exactly. So then you won't have to be at it so much. Yes. Yes. My, my, we got, hydrangeas for my my mother-in-law for easter and 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 an aunt as well and it was the same story they have to water it like every day at least every day exactly and then the other thing is is they come with a little usually a little decorative sleeve on them and so a lot of people will say okay well i'll just put some water in there and then set the plant in and then just let them sit in that water and then i'm not having to water them well they'll actually wilt the same way if they're getting too much water or they're Mm -hmm. sitting in water so they don't like to be dry but they also don't like wet feet so that's why putting them into a bigger pot and these varieties that we're starting to see out there they are going to rebloom so putting them outside once the temperature is warm in sort of an east or a north location, you'll get them to continue to bloom all summer long for you. Perfect. one 332 8255 That's the text line and that's the phone lines. And we're going to go to the phones right now from Regina and talk to Ed. Good morning, Ed. Good morning. My question is, I've got a row of asters. They're about three feet tall and quite uneven and with the damage of snow and so on. Can I just cut them to, like down to a foot off the ground or do I have to go right down to the ground? 
you absolutely can cut them down. You can cut like right down to the ground if you want to and they'll come back up or you can cut about a third is usually what I would suggest yearly to cut off of them. Um, but yeah, you can cut them right down to a foot tall. Katoni asters, um, because they're branching is they're such an aggressive grower. Um, there's not very many rules with pruning with Katoni asters. Just take your chainsaw or your pruners and, and go hard with them. Give them a good trim down and that will keep them actually fuller and bushier as well for you too. Well, that's good. So uh, if if it was like a foot off the ground, I'd be okay? Oh, no problem. Absolutely. Well, then, good. I'm, I'm trying to get out of some work here. It'd be a lot easier. <laughs> yeah, cut them down to about a foot, clear away any of those branches, um, which would be really important because if you leave those old branches in amongst there, those are just going to be uh, a place where disease can sort of have it. Yeah. Well, good. Now I, I feel better. I don't have that much work to do. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, you just gotta just gotta make sure you mix the oil for the chainsaw the right way. That's all. Uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, Ed. Thanks. Take care. One eight seven seven three three two eight two five five. We're gonna go to Moose Jaw now, and we're gonna talk to Sandra. Good morning, Sandra. Hello. Hi there. What's your question for us? Okay, I've got um, some little bunnies that like coming into my yard, and I didn't realize that they would eat tulips. And so I've got tulips coming up. Oh, they're quite, I've got a lot of tulips actually. And I noticed I don't have near as many coming up as what were coming up last year. So I was looking closer and I saw little bunny droppings around where the, the tulips should be coming up. And then yesterday I actually saw a bunny out there eating them. Oh, no. So what can I do to deter the rabbits from eating my um, tulips as they come out of the ground? Are they eating them as they're coming out of the ground, or are they sort of, as soon as they come out of the ground, are they kind of pulling the whole tulip up when you saw them? Did you, can you, can you? I, I just saw them eating the, the tops off. Yeah. Um, Trying to keep them out of your yard is the best thing, but it's really hard with the bunnies. They kind of get in there. Um, I've seen some other people who will put almost like a netting over top of some of their crops oh, when they're starting, okay. and that will help as well, too. Or you can even use a frost blanket early on in the season, too, which is kind of a, a whitish color, thin yeah. um, thin blanket weighted down on the sides. The sunlight and water can still get through, but it, it will just make it so that they don't have as much access to it. Okay, yeah, I've got, I've got a few um, frost blankets here. Mm-hmm. I really I really like using them. But what? bunnies are a tricky What about like uh, Critter Ritter or Bobex, one of those products, Jill? Yeah, you probably, you could try and do that. What those ones do is they'll deter it more with like different smells and stuff like that so that you can get, they don't want to come into that area. They're not attracted to that area. Um, okay. It might work a little bit for them, but uh, it's just sort of hit and miss depending on the, the bunnies that you have in your area and how much other food is readily available for them too. Because if they're um, they're looking for food and there's lots of new growth elsewhere, they can get that food. But if there's not, then they're going to go after whatever they can see. Yeah, there, there's, I, like I've got lots of winter onions coming up, but I've never seen them go there. But they sure like my tulip tops. Yeah, they don't really like onions too much, but yeah, the tulips are very sweet. Yeah. So they're going to like that oh. for sure. Okay. Yeah. Why eat onions when you can eat dessert, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you very much. I mean, these bunnies are so cute. I don't usually chase them out of my yard because I love to see them, but I don't want them to destroy all my tulips either. Yeah, yeah and make sure that you maybe your kids or grandkids or whoever the neighborhood kids are not setting out food in your yard and drawing them to your yard as well too. I know a lot of people will have troubles with with bunnies and things like that, and uh, they will they'll say, "Well, I'm having troubles with these things, but I really love them and I love seeing them, so I've been feeding them all winter." Well, you're oh inviting them inviting them into your yard as well too. Yeah. 
Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you very much. I'll um, I'll try uh, putting either netting on or or my frost blankets. Perfect. Thanks, Sandra. Thank you very much. Take care. Bye-bye. one 332 8255 Speaking of critters, let's get to our text line because this is a good one. Uh, Doug says, good morning. A porcupine did a job on our pear tree. What do we do with the stripped branches? Uh, leave them or prune them? Well, one thing with porcupines or any rodents that are destroying tree branches or the trunks, if they have taken the trunk down and taken the bark off all the way around, that's when you know that that damage has uh, um, done too much for the tree and you're going to lose the tree. So any branches where it's actually stripped it all the way around, the, the tree's not going to be able to take up any nutrients or, or water at any point because in it's, time. Because it's actually just, just under the bark where all those nutrients and water travel. Exactly. Right? That's exactly how it works. And so if that bark is all gone there's going to be no nutrients going to that part of the tree anymore so So if it happens at the base um of course your whole tree above that is going to be gone if it happens at a branch anything past that point is going to be gone so uh, to answer your question um should i be pruning those branches that are completely stripped i would say if they're stripped down past the bark if it's just little light pieces on the bark you're fine but if it's stripped down past the bark i would do some heavy pruning on that tree um try and get rid of some of those branches and promote some new growth but then take a look at that main trunk because if that main trunk has got the bark on all the way around it you're going to lose the whole tree you're going to lose the whole tree so then it becomes new pear tree and uh a good protection with chicken wire and other things to make sure that the critters can't get back at it yeah porcupines are a tricky one because they not only go after the base of the tree sometimes but they actually climb up into the tree and they'll eat the top of the tree too so they're doing a lot of a lot of damage if you have a a porcupine in your yard i know when we used to get porcupines at the farm that was one of the the worst things even even worse than having deer in the yard sometimes yeah no doubt so uh doug we wish you wish you the best of luck with that one hopefully your tree is going to make it there we're going to get to verna's text jeanette's text Marlene's text, Kathy's, and so many more when we get back from the break. Give us a call. Join the conversation with 1-877-332-8255. I'm Jay Thomas with Jill Van Dyvendyke. This is Garden Talk on 980 CJME and 650 CKOM. It's spring, and that means two-hour shows for Garden Talk right now. I'm Jay Thomas with Jill Van Dyvendyke, and welcome to the show today, 1-877-332-8255. That's how you join the conversation. We've got the text lines open, the phone lines open as well, some great calls already this morning. So don't be afraid to join in and uh, ask us your questions, something not going right with your yard, uh, you know, in the garden, in the flower bed. Didn't work out last year. What can you change to make it work out this year? We've got our text line to go to right now, in fact. Uh, let's talk about Verna's text. She's wondering if you can lose leftover seeds in your garden from last year. Well, you definitely can use leftover seeds from last year. We actually will stick them in the freezer, in the fridge, or um, into a dry area. Some people have even kept some recipe boxes, and they'll label them with the date and store them year after year. There's a few things that you can do to test your seeds to see if they're still good or not. You can put them in a wet piece of paper towel, and um, and let's see if they'll germinate, and that will tell you if they're still viable. The other thing is, is if you're if you're using a, an older seed, the other thing you can do too is just overseed them, which means putting right. more than one seed in there, because most of the times it's not not that they're not going to germinate, you're just going to have a lower germination rate. The older they get. The older they get. So you may, instead of putting one per per um, cell, you might want to put two per cell or three per cell. And then when they come up, you can either thin them out, like what you would do with carrots, um, or else you can just leave them. Like with cucumbers, sometimes you, when, even when you buy the cell packs in the garden centers as bedding plants, you'll see about three plants coming up in there. And so if a few um, grow together, you can do that. And then later on in the garden, when you go to, to plant them, you can just separate them out from there. Right. So there's really no problem with it. 
No. Just go for it and see what you get. And what doesn't come up, you go to the garden center and pick up some bedding plants and fill it in with what you didn't, what didn't come up, right? And that's the biggest thing too. Is if you're if you're worried about, okay, I'm, I don't want to spend this time on an effort on seeding these plants and waiting, and then nothing happens to mm-hmm, them. Mm-hmm. So that's where the paper towel thing comes in. Test a few of the seeds, see if they're still viable, and then you can plant them. One eight seven seven three three two eight two five five. Jeanette in Regina asks, "Can I cut back my hibiscus now?" Now is actually a perfect time to cut back your hibiscus. You um, can cut it back even a third. Uh, I know a lot of people in the wintertime, they'll defoliage their hibiscus plants and then spray them with a product called Endol. Hibiscus are very susceptible to um, spider mite and also to aphids on the new growth. So spider mite you'll see on the outside side of the leaves. So if your leaves are looking a little dull or they're looking pitted and yellow, usually that means you have spider mites. Endol is the best product to combat it. It has pyrethrin from the chrysanthemum flower as well as canola oil, which is going to coat those eggs and it's going to get rid of that plant. Spray it once now, wait 10 days, spray it again, and that usually will combat that problem. Now, what if you got a hibiscus though that has a bunch of flowers? You can see there's flower tips there and you know they're going to be flowers, but if you cut them off, they'll be gone. If you have a bug problem, I would still cut them off. Okay, but say there's no bug problem. If there's like- no bug problem, enjoy those blooms for a little bit and then trim it back after the blooms are there. But one thing with hibiscus is they're going to bloom consistently all summer long. So if you wait until all the blooms and all the buds are gone, you're never going to be able to trim back your plants. So right. right now is the best time to prune it because then we are just starting to get more daylight hours. You'll start increasing your fertilizing and watering pretty soon. So trimming it back a little bit, it's going to sort of make you be able to shape that plant, get more branching and bushing so that you have more area to have those those buds and blooms on. Yeah, I've seen, my mom's got one in fact, and it is kind of getting lanky, you know, yeah. sort of long and stretching out a little bit. So when you cut back the plant, you want to cut it back right to the next node. And a node is where the leaf comes out of the main branch. Okay. So you want to cut it back right to the next node, and then that's where it's going to start branching and bushing from. So you can actually make a hibiscus kind of tighter and more dense, right? Yes, Exactly. Instead exactly. of being sort of stringy and leggy and weird. Especially in the wintertime, we don't have much daylight, so it's going to start stretching towards that sun. Yes, so yes. if we trim it back, it's going to be like, okay, I trim back, I'm ready to start more, and then I have more sunlight, so it's not going to be stretching as much. You're going to have a bushier plant. Now is the time to do it then. Now is the time to do it. Okay. one eight seven seven three three two eight two five five. 332 Marlene in Saskatoon says, good morning. Would Dutch growers, for example, have any angel wing plants available? I don't even know what an angel wing is. Um, it's a begonia. Now, there's a few different types of angel wing plants. Angel wing is a, is a very like um, common name. So angel wing begonias, um, you can usually find in a lot of the garden centers. Because they are a warm weather plant, um, usually you don't see them until around Mother's Day. But angel wing begonias, if that's the angel wing plant, and, and text us in if that's not the one you're talking about, because it is such a common name. Um, they are a begonia that loves the sun and so a lot of people are looking for them because they get that kind of exotic begonia look Um, it's got an elongated leaf on it and a little um, pink or red flower and they're absolutely beautiful and they came up with a new variety a few years ago with a chartreuse colored leaf as well too Typically, begonias like the shade, though, right? Yes. So they are developing some more begonias um, that will do well in sort of a sunnier area. So it's kind of exciting to see. Very cool. Let's squeeze one more text in here. Uh, this says, uh, Kathy in Battleford says, good morning, Jill and Jay. Enjoy the show very much. We've got a 40-year-old Catoni Aster hedge that's about five feet tall. Can we cut it down to three feet this week? What's the proper way to 
cut or prune the hedge? Will it grow back fast? We talked about this earlier. We talked about this earlier with the call, but in case you missed that, with Catoni Aster, they're a very aggressive um, growing um, hedge. So you can cut that one back down even right to the ground if you want to, or you can cut a third to a half every year if you want to, and it's going to grow up. It's going to be bushier because of that. Just remember to take any of those extra branches out. Um, You can just fire up the chainsaw and go to town on that. Yeah, that or or an electric hedge pruner, but it really depends how thick some of those big branches are. Exactly. You actually might need a chainsaw because sometimes electric you know pruners or by hand would will just take forever so exactly or you'll you'll get the bigger stems caught in the pruners yes. and then it will sort and of it, wreck your machine yeah so you might actually need uh, a, chainsaw. a chainsaw for that thing okay let's take a quick break we've got a news update coming up for everybody and then our number two of garden talk is on the way so lots of text to get to let's see who do we have here we've got uh gina in saskatoon linda in saskatoon uh Another couple from Mar- uh, Marv, Sharon, uh, Blair, and Rokenville. So many more. So we're going to get to all these texts when we get back. If you've got a text, send it in or give us a call. one 332 8255 I'm Jay Thomas with Jill Van Dyvendyke. This is Garden Talk on 980-CJME and 650-CKOM. It is already hour number two of Garden Talk. Can you believe it? I'm Jay Thomas with Jill Van Dyvendyke. Welcome back to the show. If you're just joining us, you got a whole hour to get your calls and texts in at 1-877-332-8255. Feeling pretty good today because at least where we are in this part of the province, getting a little bit of sunshine, a little bit of clouds. Temperatures are going to be pretty nice. Feels like spring might be here. You know, and I, I took a little walk through the garden center, Jill, uh, just a little while ago, and man, did it ever feel good. Because now you guys got the whole place opened up, and it's filling up with plants, and it just oh, feels so green. The perennial benches are all full. They're stuffed right full. And uh, this past week, we started to see some of the annual bedding plants coming in and the basket stuffers coming yeah. in. And um, we have herbs in, and I saw bean plants there the other day, and a lot of people coming in asking for hot peppers, actually. And hot peppers, not quite there yet, but probably in the next couple weeks, we'll start seeing some pepper plants and tomato plants as well, too. So it's a really exciting thing. Now I'm looking outside and it's, the weather is so beautiful today. There's not even, the branches aren't even swaying from the wind today. No. I think I might be going out into my backyard and getting some things done. Uh, there's a few things in my yard that I could see that needs to be done. Um, one is some of my window wells still have a little bit of, of snow in them. So I'm going to be digging some of that mm, out. Yep. Um, cleaning some of that up. Um, some of my perennial plants that I didn't cut down in the fall, I just see sort of some dead sticks of some daylilies and uh, some of my sedums. Now, perennial plants, they die back down to the ground every year. So I'm going to get rid of some of that old, those old sticks and stuff. So that's something that I'm going to do. Um, I have beautiful hydrangeas in my front yard, and I usually like to trim them down about a third just to get the old blooms off of them. Um, so they're ready to go for the next season. And then in my uh, vegetable garden, I have this little patch I do vegetables in. I always like to put some pollinators and sunflowers were one of the things I planted in there. Mm. And they were blooming right up until the snow fell um, last year. And so I left all those up. So that's something I need to pull out of my garden, get it all ready and maybe start mixing that soil up so that when it is ready to go, I am set and ready to plant. You know, one thing I really learned about my hydrangeas last year, I got one in the corner and it needs aluminum sulfate. Mm, to turn them that blue color is what they'll need. Even and just to get it to actually put more blooms out. Yeah, so aluminum sulfate will also lower the pH in right. the soil, so it's going to allow it to take up some more of those nutrients in that uh, that the plant needs. As now, well. mine is like, it's a white one. 
I don't, can't remember exactly which, you know. Probably an Annabelle or something yeah, like that. Yeah, it's sort of one of the middle-sized ones, not really the little miniature one. But anyways, yeah, it, it kind of, you know, sort of lingers there and kind of ugh, does nothing for the first while until I give it that aluminum sulfate with some, you know, mix it with water. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, pow, it just kind of comes alive and shoots a bunch of, you know, blooms on it and gets more foliage and everything like that. So it's that miracle formula for you. Yeah, it is. It is. And I mean, I, I fertilize it with other stuff, you know, yeah. like every other plant in my yard, just that it just doesn't really do anything until it gets that aluminum sulfate. Oh, so. so you have a pH issue that maybe yeah. in, in your yard. And so that's one thing that a lot of people are doing is picking up those pH testers at the garden centers and um, they will test their soil. Um, you want to your pH to be sitting around six or maybe even a little bit like six or seven is kind of where you want to be sitting. I guess if you use those testers to make sure you follow the instructions because I know you need what uh, deionized water. Yeah, right? you want to use distilled water for sure. Um, you you want to make sure that you're not just using regular tap water. <laughs> you're just measuring the pH of the tap water. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That'd be a little problematic. Gotcha. one 332 8255 Let's go over to the text line. Heather in Edmonton, which is cool to see a listener coming from somewhere else outside of our province. The question she says, I've got an established group of fruit trees that were taken out by coral spot fungus. Uh, can I remove the trees and replant fruit trees in the same area, or would it be better to move the dead trees out of there and turn it into a strawberry patch? Well, as coral spot fungus is almost like little fungus spots that you see on the stem. And there isn't a lot that you can do as far as spraying a fungicide on them to get rid of them. Um, and with any funguses, they're spread by spores. So with any of those things, I would suggest planting it in a different location. If you've had it that bad that it's you haven't been able to prune it out and it's just actually destroyed the tree, you've had a pretty bad infestation of that fungus. Mm, yeah. So I would suggest moving it into a different area would be really good. And also making sure that you get rid of as many of those branches earlier on. Now, if you just start seeing that fungus on the on the stem early on, removing those pieces as you see them um, is really important because like any fungus, there is times a year where it kind of just bursts and then that's when those spores are going to spread. Um, and then make sure you clean your tools really well in between um, in between cuts. Gotcha. Okay. one 332 This one's from Larry in Saskatoon. He says, my question is about composting. I travel with work and many times I come home to veggies and things that have kind of gone bad in the fridge. You know, mm-hmm. things spoil, you forget about them. They they turn bad as you're gone for a while. Uh, is And if, if, if they're moldy, is it safe for the garden or should they be in the garbage? Like, can those, say, moldy, spoiled, you know, you know, veggies or fruits and stuff, can they go into the compost? Absolutely. Or, yeah. It just means that they're decomposing already. So, so mold is not a problem, right? Mold's not a problem. Throw it in there, um, start mixing it up, and, and you'll be fine. Hey, perfect. Let's go to our next text. Uh, text. Uh, Jenna from Saskatoon says she's got two questions. Number one, I had a hard time starting asparagus last year. Does it need certain kind of soil or certain nutrients or shade or shelter? And what do you, what's the best thing to start it with? And she says, I'm buying asparagus roots. So when you have asparagus roots, one of the things that they don't like is they don't, when they're starting off, they don't like to be too wet. Mm. Um, so that's really important. Um, making sure that you're spreading them out. So you're planting them with about 12 to 14 inches space between them. And then you have well drained soil, but not super sandy soil. So that's another really important thing too. They do need to retain some moisture. They don't like that heavy clay, but they also do not like being planted in sand as well. 
when you're harvesting asparagus, you're, it takes a few years, up to three years to be able to get your full harvest on your asparagus plants. So it's really important um, if you haven't planted asparagus before, a lot of people will plant them and expect to get a harvest out of them the first yeah. season. And they're just seeing the sort of these spindly sticks come up. That is actually normal. And you want to see that. You actually don't want to pick any of the asparagus um, that's coming up until they're about the size of about the thickness of your pinky. Oh, wow. Um, once you see them that big, that's when your, your asparagus plant is mature enough to start producing for you. And that's when you want to start picking it. Now, each plant, does each each root group make just one stem? No, it will branch up and you'll get a grouping of stems okay. coming up. So that's why it's important to have the space between each root so that you have the, the ability for them to grow. Now, once you have an asparagus patch, remember, they, they are a little bit of a weed in, in a way. So they are hard to get rid of in that area once you have them. So make sure you put them in an, in an area of your yard that you're okay with having them there for a very long time. Well, to that point, I heard a story from a friend, uh, you know, a friend of a friend basically bought uh, a homestead, a piece of farm property that used to have an old house. It was torn down years ago, and they figured out where the garden patch used to be because there's sort of, you know, a group of trees and an empty yard, nothing there anymore. But the stupid asparagus is growing through the fescue. Yeah, it's still there from the garden a- that was planted 80 or 100 years ago. It's a tough, tough plant. And it's one of those ones because it doesn't require a lot of water. The natural water that we get will will sustain it. That and um, horseradish. Horseradish is one that's (laughs) going to be there forever if you plant it. That's right. Uh, Jenna's second question is, how do I get rid of spider mite on sensitive plants? Um, sensitive plants, they have a very fine, fine leaf on them. So if you have spider mite on them, I would suggest um, just even mixing up some um, endol in a bucket and taking your sensitive plant and actually dunking it in that bucket of endol and then sort of bringing it out. I find that that will coat the whole plant because when you touch it, what does a sensitive plant do is it closes right back up again. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you're spraying it, it's just going to close and it might not coat the whole thing. So if I take the plant and I actually dump it in a little bit of um, of end all, that will definitely work really good for you. Okay, let's take a quick break. More text coming your way. we got lots to get to. We're going to get to as many as we can on the air here. one 332 8255 I'm Jay with Jill Van Dyvendyke. This is Garden Talk on 650C KOM and 980 CJME. Thanks for joining us on Garden Talk on 980 CJME and 650 CKOM. Lots of texts in, 1-877-332-8255. So we're going to take as much time as we can to answer these. And I think we got one for Jill that's right in her wheelhouse right now. <laughs> this is your thing. Uh, Lindsay in Saskatoon says, I planted petunia seeds probably a little bit late. They popped up and they have two leaves. Some are starting to get their second set of leaves. What should I be doing now? Do I fertilize? Do I take the lid off the containers? Single seeds are planted in six-pack containers, one in each section. Okay, so great. You've done some great work here already. You've got that second set of leaves coming, so that means that you've provided them the perfect environment to get them germinated. As soon as you start seeing that first set of leaves on your plants, you want to take that lid off. Um, humidity is really important for petunias. If you have too high of a humidity, you're going to start getting funguses on your on your plants, and what that will present as is almost like a, a gray powder on it. It's called powdery mildew. So what you want to do right now is you want to put some airflow in that area. So have a small fan 
in that area, not blowing directly on the plants, but have some airflow in that area so it can sort of allow for airflow and that humidity is going to go down a little bit. Um, so you have two sets of leaves. You've done a great job. You want to make sure that you're continuing to give them sunlight. You can do some fertilizer. You can actually give them a boost of a root boosting fertilizer. So something with a higher middle number on it, but just do that application once. Okay. Um, that will get the roots going really good. You're not wanting to focus on the growth of the plant right now. You're wanting to focus on the growth of the root set so it can stain the plant because that petunia plant is so, so vigorous. Um, after you start getting a third set of leaves on your plant, that's when you want to pinch. So you want to pinch out the center set. So that third set of leaves, you actually want to pinch that out. And it's really important you do that early on your petunia plants because then you will have that base structure of it branching right at the base. And then you will wait for it to get three more sets of leaves and then you'll pinch it again and then it will branch again from that area so that you're going to get a nice full sturdy plant and you're not going to get this plant that comes out and you have one long branch that you're going to get a few blooms on. Yeah, and then it'll catch the wind and be ripped off anyways, right? Exactly. So. As far as when it's time to transplant them out of that cells is if you sort of lightly tug that plant out of the cell and it comes out with a nice solid root ball, then it's time to transplant it into a larger pot. But until those roots have hit the side of your container, you want to leave it in that smaller container until then. Okay, there you go. So, Lindsay, keep up the good work and that's where you're headed for. Uh, Linda in Saskatoon. Hi, Jill. Just wondering when it's safe to uncover my hydrangea bush. It's struggled a bit in the last few years. Also, wondering about fertilizing it. Well, we talked about this just a little while ago, actually, before the break. So uh, uncovering it? Yeah, I would say wait until some of the trees have started to to um, bud out in your yard. And then we know kind of that's nature's sign that, that where, where spring is here is when you see that. So I would leave some of those tender plants covered up in your yard until you see a little bit of um, of budding coming out on your leaves. And then you know that it's safe, especially if it's a more tender plant. Okay. And then we talked about uh, aluminum sulfate. You can yeah. use plus every other fertilizer you've got, right? Exactly. Like- you want to add some aluminum sulfate. I like to um, sort of stick a, a general fertilizer like a 20-20-20 or even something with a maybe higher first number, higher nitrogen, just sort of to, to get some new growth going um, right away. Um, and then also I will prune back my hydrangea plants just about maybe... Not not quite a third, but just taking those those blooms off and reshaping a little bit in the early spring because you will have some winter kill that will come on it. Okay, perfect. Uh, I this is from Sharon in Saskatoon. I have lilies in the yard that I would like to split this year. When's a good time to do this? Can I do it when they start popping up of the ground? You definitely can. The biggest thing with lilies is you might not know where they are exactly. Right. Um, so until they start sprouting a little bit, but you can, as soon as you can get that shovel in the ground and you know approximately where they are, you can kind of dig, but dig down, but just make sure you're not digging, uh, you dig a larger area around, kind of like what you would do with a potato plant. Um, so you're getting around the outside edge and then you can kind of split those lilies at that point in time. It is best to do it before they start sprouting. So doing it now would be ideal. Okay. Perfect. Blair is in Rokenville. I'm going to put some strawberries into a new raised garden bed. Wondering what is the best soil for this? I have a large supply of well-rotted sheep manure. Well, uh, putting them with the triple mix is, is probably the best for strawberries. So what a triple mix is, is it's um, compost or manure, one-third, one-third topsoil, and one-third either peat moss, or a lot of people are using a coca core or mulch um, mixture. And adding that in one-third, one-third, one-third is really good. It gives you some nutrients, gives you the soil that you need, and then also the coca core sort of adds those elements to make it stay light and fluffy so that it's not going to compact down. So that's what I would do for your strawberry um, patch. Remember, with strawberries, the biggest 
thing is that you have a well-drained area um, so that you don't put a heavy clay soil in there is really important. Um, strawberries like to be in well-drained areas. Um, they like a lot of sunlight um, is, is key for success. Is there anything they have to do uh, that Blair has to do, though, in terms of keeping it for the winter? Because strawberries will keep over the winter, but if it's in a raised bed, are they going to be too cold being kind of out of the ground, so to speak? It's freezing and thawing that's going to um, determine that. So if your raised bed is too tall, so I would say anything over a foot, um, it's going to freeze and thaw around the edge and then you might need to put some insulation around it or cover them a little bit more for the winter by putting bags of leaves on top of your plants. So you want enough insulation around your plant so that um, it's not going to freeze into a solid block and then unfreeze and then the plant's going to start growing and then freeze again. So usually you see that in the early fall or the uh, sorry, late fall or the early spring right. um, is when the, the biggest damage is done. Once they're like frozen and, and everything is good, usually that plant it will sustain. It's it's sort of covered in snow and everything is good. But it's when we get those freeze thaws, it's the hardest on the plant. And it's more susceptible when it's in a raised bed because exactly. it's out of the ground. So it's out of the ground. it might need some insulation, like you said, with bags of leaves or uh, an insulating tarp you could throw over top of that. Like exactly. when fall comes, right? Mm-hmm. And just insulate that that one with your strawberries in it because you want to make sure it's not doing that freeze-thaw thing. Exactly. It's really important that, that you're sort of watching those areas. And, and remember, our winters are so different year to year that you might have had success one year when we had a mild winter. And then the next year, you're like, how come I've lost all of my strawberry plants in my raised bed? So the harsher winter that we have, um, especially with those raised plants, it's not as consistent as planting them right in the ground. Right. Exactly. Sarah in Kalon say, good morning. Can you use Use dormant oil on maple trees to prevent aphids. Mm. I I'm not sure that question. Um, I I don't want to answer that one on the air just because I'm I'm unsure about that. I've never heard of dormant oil being used to prevent aphids on the maple plants. Typically, dormant oil is used for the the fungus, used right? For funguses, I know that it can be used. But you know what? I'm going to write this one down. And uh, Rick, when he's back next week, he is all things trees and and bugs that way so i'm going to write that one down um for next week and if you're okay with that we're going to answer that one next week yeah and sarah maybe just you know send us another text next weekend so we can answer that exactly today but we want to make sure we get you the exact right information not telling you something we don't don't quite know about um here is one from uh vonda or vanda in alameda for rabbits i sprinkle shaved irish spring soap and that's worked for me we had a text or a call earlier about uh rabbits eating the tulips coming up right yep and uh vanda says irish spring soap has kept them away well that's that's a great thing for rodents i know that one thing that we used to do in our camper is we used to take the irish spring soap and put it <laughs> sort of at the base of all the all the vents and stuff like that in the camper to keep the rodents away so um i can't see why that wouldn't work i wonder you know the people who make irish spring soap like that company <laughs> if they have statistics on how much soap gets used to like you know people in the shower or how much just get used to like keep rodents away in tractors and campers and <laughs> one of the things that that is great and i love this show for that reason is in a garden center because um we a lot of products aren't registered for plant use we can't suggest it or recommend it in a garden center setting but i love hearing success stories on the show from you as gardeners telling other gardeners what has worked because um we have different regulations that we have to follow in the stores um that we can't necessarily share that knowledge with it with everybody as a professional in the industry so have Having you, uh, avid gardener, share that information.
information on the air here is is just amazing. Absolutely. Uh, we were ta- touching about uh, seed packets a little bit earlier. This is a similar text from uh, Kelly. Uh, says, uh, did se- packages of vegetable seeds go bad or can we use packages from last year? And it's, you might have a lower germination rate. You have a lower germination rate. Do a little test on a few of the seeds. Put them in um, some paper towels. See if they're going to they're gonna grow. But the biggest thing is, is keeping them in a dry area. Um, some, pe- some seeds can go in the freezer. Some can just go in a dry storage area and or in a cold storage area and they will be good to go for years to come. Okay, we've got a minute left till we get to a new news break. We're going to start at least with one text here. Uh, this is from Sharon in Saskatoon. Good morning. Really enjoy your two-hour show. Thanks, Sharon. Uh, oh, sorry, this is Carol. Uh, is, it, is it time to prune back nine barks, spirea, and hardy hydrangeas? If so, how much? Absolutely, you can. What you're doing right now is you're wanting to prune them to get rid of some of that winter kill and to add a little bit of shape to the plant. So you can definitely prune them. I would suggest maybe about a third. With some of your spireas, um, one of the things that we do about every four to five years is we cut them right back down to the ground. Mm. And uh, that will get rid of a lot of that old growth that's growing in there and just allow a lot more room for new growth and, and you'll have a bushier plant. Okay, so go for it. It's the time to do that. And we'll get to Sharon's text when we get back from this quick break. one 332 I'm Jay Thomas with Jill Van Dyke, You're listening to Garden Talk on 650-CKOM and 980-CJM. Half an hour left in the show, and there is a ton of text to get to at one 332 8255 I'm Jay Thomas, and welcome back to Garden Talk. Jill Van Dyke is here with me, and uh, she's got all the answers, which is good, because I've only got a few. Oh, Jay, you're uh, too kind. <laughs> Sharon in Saskatoon on the text line, I've had a lot of problem with powdery mildew on my succulent plants this winter. I've sprayed them with an antifungal and used an alcohol water mix with some benefit. Is there anything else I can do to prevent or treat it better? Hydrogen peroxide actually works really good too, mixing that with some water and, and um, spraying that onto your plants as well. Um, the biggest thing if you're seeing powdery mildew, it's fixing the source of the problem that's really important. So increasing some airflow in that area once you have sprayed them, because if you just increase airflow into that area, they are the powdery mildew is spread by spores. So if you just put a fan on them and you're spreading the spores everywhere in your room, yeah, basically. Right. So you want to treat them first, increase the airflow in that area, and then really watch your watering is the biggest thing. You know, you want to make sure that your succulents are drying out. And if you feel your earlobe or the tip of your nose, just sort of give it a little push right now with your finger. And your succulents um, should feel the leaves, should feel soft like the tip of your nose or your earlobe before you're watering them. If they are stiff and nice and plump, then they have enough moisture in there to sustain the plant. The nice thing about those is they're, again, a forget-me plant. In a sort of way, not as quite as much as a, a snake plant, but I can like leave my succulents and like go, oh, oh another kind of like wrinkly. A totally neglectable, we call right? them. Yes. And then I give them water and in 24 hours, they're plump and full and they're good to go again. Looking you good know? again. So not, not that I try to do that. It's just that sometimes I forget or something like that. And so the hydrogen peroxide or also sulfur spray is the best thing to combat um, uh, powdery mildew and then increasing airflow and watching your watering is how you prevent it from happening. Karen's in Saskatoon says, good morning, Jill and Jay. I bought uh, my calla lilies or brought them in from storage. They came up beautifully. However, a few weeks later, their stem was so weak, even with a, a support there, it started to bend. What do you think happened? Is it a lack of fertilizer? What should I do? Cut them back and hope they come back or what? Sometimes we'll see that when they're not quite getting enough sunlight. Um, they'll be a little bit weak that way. Um, so what you can do is uh, you can just maybe add some more light to there, put them in a brighter area. That might work as well. Um, you can um, cut them back and let them grow back up again. Uh, 
some of them, some of them will do that. Um, but really watch your watering as well and make sure you have consistent watering on your plants. You're not going wet, dry, wet, dry is really important. And soil temperature when they're starting to get going is important as well too. Is that one where you'd like a, a, a little bit of air movement around them too, just to stiffen up that stalk? Would that change anything? Yeah, you definitely can. If any, with anything, you're wanting to mimic its natural environment outside. So, um, cool nights, warm days, um, making sure that you're increasing your daylight hours as it's going. Um, warm soil temperatures will get them going with any of your bulbs. Is always really important. Now, as these bulbs get older over time, remember that they will deplete. So after you've had this bulb for maybe 10 years, it might be time to replace it oh, um, okay. and start over again. Um, so I'm not sure how old the bulb is, but it sounds like you've only had it for a little bit of time for, for right now. Okay, perfect. Uh, this is Jen in Saskatoon. Good morning. I have a carmine jewel cherry tree that only blooms and produces cherries on the new growth only. Okay. Uh, I fertilize it, water it lots, but every year I get less blooms, leaves, and cherries. Hmm. We have um, a great organic um, uh, fertilizer that is meant for um, for our fruiting trees, like our, our cherry trees. I would probably try and use that. It's from the Evolve company, and it's called, um, I don't have it off the top of my head. It starts with an R. Um, Rick had it here last program, but if you stop into the garden centers, it's by Evolve. It's it's an organic, um, and it will it will help promote that sort of having more um more fruiting on your plants the other thing is if you're pruning your your cherry trees is really important to be able to get more new growth and i'm uh, making sure you're getting rid of any of those crossing branches and make sure you're thinning your cherry trees out a little bit as far as pruning and that will help as well too so fertilizing giving them the right food is probably the biggest key to success with your fruit trees and also pruning is it possible that there's too much fertilizer though um, you can be over fertilizing your plants too, especially if you're giving them like too much, maybe some nitrogen or some phosphorus. Um, you can be over fertilizing them too. So, so yeah, be watching that and, and just, um, maybe even take, if you have some pictures of what, what they're doing or what, what they're looking, stop into the garden center and explain that to, to, um, the expert there and they'll be able to get you the right thing, um, for your specific issue. Perfect. one 332 8255 Let's see, who is this from? Uh, Carrie in Saskatoon. Good morning. We planted decorative grass two years ago. And we're not sure if we should cut it right off or just clean up the base of the plant. So your decorative grass, usually most people are planting a Carl Forrester grass, which is a nice, tall, um, feather reed grass, or they're doing a blue fescue. Those are the most two popular grasses that we're growing out. Grasses are a perennial, which means that they die back down to the ground every year. So it is important you cut them right back down to the ground, and then you allow the new grass to come up. So that is something. Clean them up as good as you can, or else you're just going to have a big tuft of brown grass and all the new growth coming in from around the base. Mm, okay, there you go. All right, Carrie. Uh, this is from... From Sue, who's at Eagle Lake in Saskatchewan. Good morning. Appreciate the knowledge you guys share. Thanks a lot. Uh, are there any Lilthop plants, L-I-T-H-O-P, presently for sale at the Garden Center? Lilthops. Um, Lilthops are coming in. Actually, we have a shipment coming in from Florida in the next couple of weeks, and you're going to be starting to see more succulents and more tropical plants. So Lilthops are actually a type of succulent, and they look like living stones, or some people will say they look like little butts. Um, um, coming out of the soil. They're a low-growing plant. Very neat, very unique, and a lot of people can um, start collecting them. But lithops, you'll start seeing them show up at the garden centers in the next couple of weeks, seeing them in May, and then some of those more unique 
um, collector plant stores, you can kind of start seeing some of the weird and unusual ones. Too. Yeah, they are weird. I just mm-hmm. looked them up because I had no idea what they looked like. And I've seen them before now that you mentioned it, but they're, yeah, Google Lithop, L-I-T-H-O-P. Or Living Stones is the other common name for them. They are weird. Yeah. They are weird. They're a unique plant. Let's call them that. <laughs> unique. All right. We're going to go to the text line in a second, but first we've got a call that's come in. Let's go to Carrie and talk to her in Saskatoon. Good morning, Carrie. Good morning. What is your question for us? Okay. We caught this plant in October, and I believe it's called a bromelade. A bromelade, yes. Absolutely beautiful tropical-looking plant. Okay. Now, it's been growing, and I just water it whenever I keep checking the water, you know, in the leaves. And I put a little bit on the soil to keep it a little moist. Mm-hmm. Now, it's got these two stems that grow out. Are those the babies? Okay, so bromelade, there's a few things. I'm just going to explain it for our listeners to her listening in. So a bromelade is a tropical plant and almost grows out in a fan shape. So there's a vase in the center and then the flower comes out of the center of that. Now, what you want to do with the bromelade is you want to make sure there's a little bit of water in that vase at all times. If you look at how the leaves are cupped and shaped in the rainforest, when it rains, it will actually slide down and water will sit in the vase. And then you just want to keep the moisture a little bit, a little bit moist around the edge of the soil in the pot too. So that's you're doing the right thing there. Um, the bloom on the plant, you'll see sort of the colored leaves that come out of the center. And then out of those colored leaves, that actually isn't the flower, but out of those colored leaves, you'll see actually little, almost like little um, flowers coming out of there. That is actually the flower. So once you have those flowers bloom, that's when that color piece is eventually going to die back down. Now, a cool thing is you've got little babies, and I call those like little pups or little babies coming out the side. And once those are a third the size of the mother plant, you can remove those actually and start another new baby plants with them. Another key to success with your bromelades to get them to rebloom is the forest has a, a period of the year where the ethylene gas is a little bit higher, and that's what gets them to rebloom. So by sticking an apple into a bag and sort of tying it up and leaving it there for about a 24 to 36 hours, that ethylene gas is going to force another new bloom on your plant. Because there's that center part that's the, the red. Yes. And then on the top, it look, kind of looks like a berry. Exactly. And those berries are actually the bloom. So it's not that center part that's red that's the bloom. It's actually those berries that are the bloom on the plant. Oh, really? Yes. Okay, and it's in the original pot. Should I be transplanting this thing now? They like to be in quite a small pot. So it depends if you want to keep those pups attached to the mother plant or if you want to remove them. If you want to keep them attached, you might want to move it into a larger pot. Um, but bromelades are actually also in an air plant family. So they tend to, they, like a Talansia family. So they tend to grow on the sides of any, of something or beside another plant. So they actually don't need a lot of moisture from their roots. So putting them in too large of a pot, it's really important that you don't do that as well. You'll also see that it's planted in more of a bark or moss mixture rather than a straight soil. So making sure that it's got something that is going to drain really quickly is important as well too. Okay. And when it gets nice out, can I take it outside? You definitely can, but put it in sort of a part sun location, not in full sun. Okay. Because right now it's sitting on my bay window, but it faces east. Yeah, so an east location outside or even a north location is perfect for that bromelade. Make sure your nighttime temperature is around 10 degrees for that guy. Okay, and how long do these normally live? 
uh, they can live for a very, very long time. Um, the, it's going to keep producing new pups for you, so you can keep having new babies and new plants that you're going. Um, just sort of watch those that new blooming and new growth. You, you can make them rebloom for you, but eventually you might want to take one of those babies off, throw the mother plant away because it's not producing as much, and then start growing some of the babies off the side. Okay, and what about the end tips of the leaves? They, some of them have a little bit of brown. Is that too much water? Uh, it's from the chlorine in our water. It's just causing a little bit of burn. So if you let the water sit overnight, let that chlorine evaporate out, that will eliminate that. Just give them a little bit of a trimming on the edge of the leaves. And uh, it's again, you're not going to um, eliminate the browning. You're still going to have a little bit of scabbing on there, but it might sort of clean them up a bit. Yeah, because I've been letting my... I have my water in an old sour, tall sour cream container. Yep. And I, when I water the plant... Like before I water it, that water's been sitting out for a good week. Okay, perfect. Yeah, it, that, that could just be, just could be a few things. It could be just a little bit of damage from inconsistent watering. It's having brown tips on the edge of your plants. Even if you go out in nature and you go into a tropical environment, you'll see that it's very natural for the plant to have a little bit of brown tipping or some brown spots here and there. Um, it's if you're seeing it affect the whole plant, that's when you should be worried. But having a little bit of browning on the leaves, that's actually a pretty natural process. Just like like we get sort of blemishes and things like that on our skin, um, so do plants. Okay, lovely. Thanks for the information. Enjoy the show and keep it up. Thanks, Thanks for Carrie. your call. Thank you. Bye-bye. 1-877-332-8255. we got to go to a quick break. We're going to get uh, a call on next from Lana, who's in Eagle Lake. We'll talk to about a Venus flytrap. Ooh, that's fun. That's a cool plant. And uh, then it's lightning round for the text, and we get back as well. I'm Jay Thomas with Jill Van Dyke. This is Garden Talk on 980 CJME and 650 CKOM. Can't believe this is our last segment already. Two hours flies by when you're having fun. I'm Jay Thomas with Jill Van Dyke. Thanks for listening to Garden Talk this morning. We're going to go to Eagle Creek right now and talk to Lana. Hi, Lana. Hi. What is your question for us? Okay, so my Venus flytrap has put up two flower stalks that are about eight inches high now. And I can see at the top of them, it's got almost like these little bulbs growing, like almost like a garlic flower will do. Yes. So... Is this a good thing to let them mature or not? And then one other question about the Venus flytrap. So the traps grow on the end of a leaf. And I see that some of the older ones, the traps are kind of turning brown. I presume that they're dying. So do I just leave the whole trap and leaf die or do I clip them off? Well, these are all great questions. So one of the things that you want to do is having, looking at how Venus flytraps grow in nature is most important. So they usually grow in like a boggy area. They like, they like a soil that is, um, mossy with a little bit of peat in it. Um, and then they like high humidity and moisture. So they don't like to be like necessarily sitting in water, but that's why a lot of times you'll see almost like a dome or a cup over top of them when they're in the, in the stores. And actually what that dome or cup is meant to do, it's for transportation, but you can take that cup over, put a little bit of water in the bottom so the plant's not sitting in it and let the water evaporate around the base of the plant and that will help it as well. Now to answer your question, um, should you leave that sort of bulb or flower, leave that up in your plant. Um, as far as the actually the, where the traps are, think of those traps as like the flower on the plant. And so after it's finished opening and closing a bunch of times, it's going to get tired and eventually wither and die. So it's not that you've done anything wrong, but pinching that, pinching that off and you can pinch it off at the base of the 
at the base of the Venus flytrap if it's died back down or wherever it's died back down to. And then you're going to start giving some more, um, getting some more little traps coming up. You don't want it to be putting energy into something that is, is already dead. Just like our geranium plants, you know how we deadhead the flower. We, we're done with that stock. We want to sort of make it reproduce more, more plants. Now with these Venus flytraps, they're a perennial, but if we continue to pinch and prune them, that's actually going to help promote some new growth as well, too. Okay, I wasn't worried about it's a flower, like you're talking about putting energy. So right now it's putting energy into the flowers. Um, I do see there's lots of new young traps that are growing as well. Mm-hmm. So do I just leave these flowers open and do their thing or... Yeah, like you can you can somewhere. trim off those big flowers like those little you said you said they almost look like onion type type flowers that are at the top. You can trim those off and then it will put more energy into the rest of the plant. Is that a good thing to do or should yes. I leave them flower? Yes, you definitely can, but if you want to enjoy them flower a little bit, you can as well too. So, it's just but you said that you want to see if you want to see the plant bush out just like any plant early on in the season with our with our plants in the greenhouse, we're actually deflowering all of our plants because we want them to be not focusing on flowering, we want them to be focusing on the energy of the growth of the plant. So, same like, thing would I've apply. Never- I've never had one flower before, so it's it's kind of unusual for me, and I was kind of, you know, a little bit of yeah. awe, but I don't want to compromise the, the mother plant. You aren't going to compromise the mother plant by watching it flower, so just enjoy that that process. Um, it's just those other 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 plants, they're just going to sit there for a little bit, and it might just wait for it to flower before you're going to see it push out some more new growth. So when these it, when the flower opens, is this will this be fertilized by bugs or something and create seed or... Um, well, with the Venus flytraps, we actually don't have a lot of bugs, especially when they're grown inside our house. So giving them a little bit of houseplant fertilizer is important when you're adding it to the water. Um, so that that will be key to success too. Um, the the flower on the, on the plant, if you're waiting, you can even Google it and say flowers. It's actually not a very impressive flower. It's kind of like your succulent flowering. Uh, people <laughs> more grow them for the plant than the flower itself. But a lot of people like watching the process. Okay, so like uh, I don't fertilize with any fertilizer because like I am able like one or two houseflies in the house and kind of feed it that. Yeah, so give it some fertilizer. I would take the fertilizer if you just have like a Schultz plant food, that would be perfect for it and dilute it about by by half. So instead of seven drops in your bucket of water, maybe put about four and then you can water it with that when you're watering. Even the one feeding it flies? Exactly. Okay, thank you so kindly. You're welcome. Thanks, Lana. Take care. Bye. 1-877-332-8255, one 332 the lightning round for the text, because we only have a minute. <laughs> Let's do this. Let's just get one done here. Shirley in Saskatoon, daylilies, I always leave them alone till spring. Is there a trick or tool that makes it easier to cut off the dead leaves now? I find pruners are very time-consuming since the leaves are floppy, and it's really tough to snip them. I find that the pruners is the best thing to do um, with them. You can't get a hedge trimmer or anything because the leaves are a little bit too soft. So um, just taking a pair of garden gloves, grabbing a bunch of them, and then just clipping them off at the base is the best thing you can do. And you know what? Uh, a really sharp pair of pruners is always a good thing, too. Yes. Right? It'll go a lot better if they're a good quality pair and they're sharp, right? So, so. that's the other thing, too. Get a good, Invest in a good quality pair of pruners. They're going to last years to come um, rather than just buying a $10 pair of pruners. Exactly. Uh, you know what? That's 
that's it for the show today. Can't believe it's over. If we missed your text, we will text you back as soon as we get off the air here. We'll just reply to a few of them we didn't get to on the air. But thanks for all the uh, enjoyable texts and calls today. And Jill and Rick will be back again next week. Enjoy your day out there. Happy spring, everybody. Looks like spring has come. For those of you in the north or the south of the province, spring will come, I promise. (laughs) Thanks for listening to Garden Talk on 980 CJME and 650 CKOM.